listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So this morning, there's something that we've all experienced. And you're going to find yourself probably sitting where you are today that, man, this is going to hit right where you are. And it's the idea of worry and, we would say, anxiety and trouble. In fact, I, I even have a dog that has high anxiety. And, but we all have this. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter what life stage you are in. Because these things come in all different shapes and sizes and forms of things that cause us to worry and, and anxiety and troubles. So there's some interesting thoughts that others have said about this idea of worry and anxiety and troubles. For you parents, a man named Robert Fulgram said, don't worry that your children are not listening to you or they don't listen to you. Just worry that they're always watching you. We know that. Dale Carnegie said, our fatigue is often not caused by work, but by worry and frustration. Or the great Peanuts author Charles Schultz said, Don't worry that the world is coming to an end tomorrow. It's already tomorrow in Australia. Julius Caesar, he said, as a rule, people worry more about what they can't see than what they can see. And I think that's our tendency. Our tendency is, what one guy said, is to borrow trouble. Meaning to imagine things worse than they actually are. I tell you, if anybody had... A cause for worry or anxiety would be Corey Tin Boone, a Holocaust survivor that said, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. Are you Dr. Phil fans? I know there's a few closet fans out there. He said, My dad used to say, You wouldn't worry so much about what people thought about you if you knew how seldom they did. And is that true? lady named Regina Brett said, Everything can change in the blink of an eye, but take heart, God never blinks. Kent Hughes, a pastor, author that I often read, he said, Imagine fears are far worse than reality. Man, I find myself in that often. I think he might have stole it from Mark Twain that said, I've had a lot of worries, most never happened. But you know, we all have worries. We all have anxiety. We all have troubles in our life. And here's what we do. If, this, if you're anything like me, many of us internalize. Man, we like to stuff the worry, stuff the frustration, the things that are going on. And you realize what happens is it's going to find its way out in some other way. We try to escape. Man, we said, I just need a break. Man, I just need a break from whatever's causing. We want to remove ourselves from whatever the worry or the source of trouble, whether it's your kids or your spouse or and some neighbors, man, I just need a break. I need an escape. Some of us self-medicate. Any stress eaters in the house? Yeah. Maybe with chocolate or maybe some Taco Bell or, I don't know, maybe your ice cream. But, man, we self-medicate with these vices because what we're trying to do, we're trying to deal with this worry, this frustration, this anxiety. But as believers, here's where one of our major pitfalls is when worry and anxiety and trouble comes. Those are moments we were tempted to doubt. 
We can doubt whether God can be trusted. We wonder if God really cares. We wonder if He even knows what's best. But here's something I am now convinced of. <clears throat> the goal in this life is not to become worry-free. Why do I believe that? It's because last week in John chapter 13, verse 21, you know what it says of our Savior Jesus? That He was troubled. So the goal isn't to have a worry-free or a trouble-free or an anxiety-free life, but it's to worry about the right things in the right way. So this morning, this is what I want you to do, is we're going to go to the Scriptures. Think of the thing that you're, that's causing you the most worry, the thing that's bringing you the most anxiety, the trouble that maybe you're in, whether it's finances, children, family, work, school, relationships, retirement. I mean, the, the, the spectrum is wide. But I believe John chapter 14 will be helpful for every single one of us. That we're going to watch Jesus speak to these disciples. And you will see how relevant it is to us today. So let's go to John chapter 14 on your phones or on your Bibles. And let me remind us where we are today. So last week, living chapter 13, we are now in the very last hours of Jesus' life before the cross. Last week we left off where Jesus is in the upper room. He washes the disciples' feet and he tells them, one of you will deny me. One of you is going to betray me. And he tells them, I'm going to die. Well, now we're in the final evening before Jesus will go to the garden and pray. We're in the final night before Judas will show up and identify him with a kiss before they will carry him off to stand trial and he'll be crucified on the cross. So we're in between this last supper and this moment of his betrayal. So what's interesting, though, when you think about this, man, if anyone in this state has a reason for trouble or anxiety or worry, it should be Jesus. He knows the road that is set before him, but in this moment, you know what you see him doing? You see him turning and caring for his disciples. When he probably needed the one to be comforted, he needed the one to be encouraged. He's the one doing it for others. In fact, he's going to look through all his worry. He's going to look through all the trouble. and He's going to think about those around him. So we're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 14. Notice he begins right off the bat. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. So he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I believe he can see the worry on their faces, the, the tension in the room. So what then are they worried about? Well, five times he's told them. I'm going away. He's told them I'm going to die. He's told them there's going to be a traitor and he's right here among you. He's told them that Satan is going to be at work against them. Jesus has said, many of you are going to fall away. One of you will deny me. And the disciples, I think, are forced to deal with the coming death of Jesus. He tells them, I'm leaving and you can't follow me. I think they're confused and they can't make sense about what's going on. They've been following this man. They've given up everything that they have to follow him. They've seen what he could do. But now they find themselves confused. And I think the weight of it all is very depressing. But once again, if anyone's troubled, it should be Jesus. I mean, he's headed to the agony of the cross. Yet Jesus, on this night of nights, when it would be appropriate for the disciples to comfort him, Jesus is the one giving comfort and hope. But Jesus knows 
that's not enough, that that's not real helpful to just say, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. I mean, it's like telling a scared child, don't be afraid. It's just not helpful. So what he does then, he gives them a reason or a way for their hearts not to be troubled. And they're going to need a new perspective. So here's what we're going to see today. Jesus is about to give four truths to these disciples. Notice what he says. Let not your hearts be troubled. And here's the first one. Believe in God and believe also in me. So he says, don't be troubled. Instead, keep believing in me. My works, the promises I've made, the miracles, the teaching that I've done. Hold on to those things. So he's saying belief or faith is the key to a troubled heart. Or I would say it this way. Jesus is saying the antidote to the virus of anxiety is trust in Jesus. In times of anxiety and stress, our tendency is to doubt whether God can really be trusted. We wonder if God really cares. Does he even know what's going on? He's got all these big problems, but is he forgetting about me? And I think oftentimes it's, our hearts are like these ships in the sea and they're being battered by winds of uncertainty and waters of doubt. And in this moment, just like the one with the disciples, we need to be reminded that God controls the seas. In this, that belief in Jesus is the anchor to turbulent days. So Jesus tells the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled, to be stirred, to be worried and full of anxiety. He says the antidote to that, that virus of anxiety is trust in me to keep on believing. But then Jesus is going to tell them something that they can focus on because he knows that that's still not enough. He's giving them some good advice, but there needs to be something they can be anchored to. Because look at what he says in verse 2. He's going to give them a word picture. He says, the, the, the antidote to the virus of anxiety is trust in me. And when those moments of anxiety and trouble and frustration come, here is what you focus on. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again. And I will take you to myself that where I am you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. So he says, I'm not leaving just for leaving's sake. He says, I'm going, I'm leaving, I'm going to the cross all the way through death to make preparations for you to follow me. He's going to prepare a place for them and he's talking about heaven. That Jesus is returning home and his home will one day be theirs. And he says, hold on to that. That this world is not all there is. Yes, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be problems. But you need to remind yourself that you have a different home. But I must go to the cross. I must go through death to prepare that place. Because he knows this about his disciples. Remember two weeks ago with Mary. He knows her faith and their faith is going to be tested like no other. He's been making all these promises. Man, they're going to watch him die on the cross. They're going to watch them put his lifeless body in a grave. Many people are going to walk away. And their faith will be tested. So he's preparing them for that moment. He's going to prepare them when nothing is going to make sense. They're going to feel abandoned and forgotten. And that they've wasted the last three years of their lives. But he says, hold on to this. Because I'm going to a place to prepare for you. And it's heaven. 
But I think he paints this word picture in such a vivid, kind of real thing because he wants them to know something about this place. He wants them to know it's real. That it's not just some figment of their imagination. It's not even a state of mind. It's not some fictional place like in a a science fiction novel. It's a real place created by God for his people to dwell with him forever. So after Jesus tells them he's going to die and he's leaving, he says, do not be troubled. Do not worry about this. So he says, don't be troubled, but believe in me that the antidote to the virus of anxiety is trust in me. But then he gives them a promise. It's the promise of heaven. And here's why I think he does that. He gives them this because he knows they're going to doubt and they are going to feel forgotten. They're going to be in the upper room wondering what happened. What do we do next? But the promise of heaven is to protect from feeling forgotten. He's saying, I know it's going to feel rough, but I'm going to prepare a place and I'm doing it so that you can follow me. I will not forget you. Then we're given some insight into how the command to continue to believe in the promise of heaven received. And it's our man Thomas. In verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where, we, where you are going. How can we know the way? So you see his confusion? He, I think he voices what everyone's thinking. Man, we want to follow you. We've been doing this for three years. We want to keep following you, but we don't know the way. He says, we're lost. Well, then Jesus gives the sixth I am statement. In verse 6 and 7, Jesus said to him, looking into Thomas's eyes, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one is coming to the Father except through me. If you had known me, then you know my Father also. For now on, you do know him and you've seen him. So Jesus says, you only think you don't know the way. But what you're missing is the way is a person, and that is me. And if you know me, then you know the way. That Jesus does not only know the way to heaven, he says, I am the way. And you know how he can claim that is because he is the way, because he's the truth and the life. That Jesus is the way to God because he's the truth of who God is, and he's the life that God is going to bring. In fact, he says the only way to God is, is to follow Jesus who will lead straight through death into everlasting life. That Jesus must first enter into death and then blow right through it so that others can then follow. Because if he doesn't do that, then we would never make it out of death. But he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm going to prepare the place for you to then follow. But Judas and these other disciples, they're still confused. But Jesus is going to comfort them with this saying that they know the way. The the antidote to all this virus you're feeling is keep trusting in what I've done. Keep trusting in what I've told you and the promises I'm leaving you. Well, then another disciple speaks up and it's Philip. Man, we met Philip way back in chapter 1. One of the very first disciples that Jesus called. So he looks at Jesus, in verse 8, and he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. The problem is, up until this point, Philip, all they know is the Old Testament. 
They only know God as the Father. They worship the Father of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the sacrificial systems that they only knew God as Father. Well, now he has sent his son, and Philip is reverting back to all the things that they had been taught in the Old Testament. So Jesus shows them that God the Father has been preparing them all along the way. Because notice what he says in verses 9 through 11. Jesus looks to Philip and he said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. For also believe on account of the works themselves. In fact, Jesus makes one of the most profound declarations about his relationship with his Father. And this is what separates Christianity from all all, uh, denominations or religions. It's the relationship that he has with the Father. He says, if you know me, then you know the Father. If you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And he gives him three proofs. First of all, his character. He says, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, that we are one. His words. He says, I'm not speaking what I want to say or what I would say. I'm speaking the words of the Father. And then he goes to the works. All the miracles that he'd been doing. He says, those are proof of who I am. So Jesus says, first of all, the antidote to this virus that you're feeling of anxiety is believe in me. Keep believing, even when it is hard to hold on. But he says, remember the promise. The promise of heaven is to protect you from feeling forgotten. Because it doesn't take long for us to feel that. But here's the third one. He's going to show them that obedience builds assurance of who you belong to. But I think often, here's how we think about obedience. We think about obedience as doing something that someone else wants us to do, especially when we don't want to do it. You know, it could be that obedience is staying late to do that report, even though you want to go home, but you want to be obedient to the one in charge. Obedience might be getting up early to finish that book report, even though you don't want to do it, but you want to meet the expectations to get the grade, so you're obedient. Obedience could be brushing your teeth, or picking up your room, or, I don't know, driving the speed limit, or putting on your seatbelt, but... Obedience, we think about doing something that we don't really want to do, but we're obedient to the person that wants us to do that. But Jesus is going to completely redefine obedience. Obedience isn't just doing something that someone else wants us to do. Obedience is doing what we were created to do. He would say to love God and love others. Because notice how he's going to redefine obedience in verses 12 to 24. Because notice how he is going to phrase this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Hold on to that. And greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Whoever asks, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And hold on to that. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees me, sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. <clears throat> in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. But Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? But Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Notice that. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. Whoever does love me, does not, does not love me, does not keep my word. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So first of all, notice Jesus is not teaching a works-based salvation. He's teaching that, that saving faith results, it creates this obedience. That obedience is a result of the effects of faith coming to people. But notice this, three times, obedience here is not a command. It's not go and brush your teeth. It's not turn in that report. It's not clean your room. It's not feed the dog. Obedience is not a command. Do you see it? It's a promise. That means there's something in this for us. That it's not a command. It's not go and do this. It said, he goes on to say, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Whoever believes in me will do the works. It's a promise, not a command. So Jesus knows that we're troubled. He knows that we're going to have times of anxiety. He knows these disciples are going to be struggling. So first he says, listen, my beloved. The antidote for the virus of anxiety is trust in me. And you keep fighting for that even when it is difficult. But then he gives them a promise to hold on to. And it's the promise of heaven to protect them from feeling forgotten. When you think I have forgotten and I've gone on to other things, remember what I have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Well, then they hear another one. He says, obedience builds assurance of who you belong to. That when faith comes and the more it produces obedience and the more we obey, the more we follow his truth, the more assured we are of who we belong to. And the more assured we are who we belong to, the more we believe in the promise that heaven is there to protect us from feeling forgotten. And then when those viruses of anxiety come up more and more and more, we continue to trust. Well, then Jesus, yeah, I think he knows all this sounds great. And hopefully even encouraging. But he's looking at these disciples and he knows they're weak, he knows they're frail, he knows they're going to be challenged in ways they could never imagine. So instead of just leaving and saying, good luck, fellas, hope it turns out well for you. In verse 25 and 26, he gives them something else. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. 
but the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things, including what He just told them, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So what you see is the power of the Holy Spirit to bring them all the way home. So here's what we've seen. So far we've seen the antidote to the virus of anxiety is trust in Him, trust in Jesus. That is the antidote, that is the cure. The promise of heaven to protect them from feeling forgotten. That man, from this moment on, man, if they will fight for that obedience to what He has told them to do, it will build an assurance of who they belong to. But then they can rest ensured that the power of the Holy Spirit will carry them all the way home. But then you know what Jesus does? He takes them all the way back to the beginning. I love this. He says, peace or shalom be with you. But notice, it isn't the peace that the world can give. They're going to offer us all kinds of things. But he says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world does, but I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then notice what he tells them. Rise, let us go from here. And so if anyone has cause for worry, if anyone has cause for anxiety or trouble, it would be Jesus. And in these moments, we see him looking out and for caring for these disciples. And it's great to see this picture, this truth that Jesus hands these disciples, these truths to hold on to. But I hope you can hear and see Jesus today handing us these same truths. So think back to, I don't know, what you're worried about, where your anxiety is, what your greatest trouble is. Run them through these truths, reminding yourself that the antidote to that virus of anxiety or worry or trouble, Jesus tells you is trust in Him. And you're going to feel forgotten. You're going to feel like God doesn't care, but the promise is heaven is there to protect you against those feelings of being forgotten. And then we get up and put one foot in front of the other. In obedience, we'll build assurance. Oh, I belong to him and not this world. And what did he say? This evil one that he's coming for me, he has no claim on me. But you don't do this on your own. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to carry us home. So church this morning, in those moments or the moments to come, I hope you can hear your Savior say, let not your heart be troubled. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.